Two middle-aged men in Cleveland, episode 90, but we're missing one of the middle-aged men. Ken Dworznik is on his honeymoon. We talked about that last time, and so he's in the Michigan area, which I don't know, you wouldn't normally think is a place to go on a honeymoon, but, uh, you know, hey, there. from what I've seen on Facebook, they're having a good time, so we have one middle-aged man and one young lady here. Uh, uh, aw, yeah. you call me young. Thank yeah. you, Ted. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I've been around long enough to know. This is uh, Sherry Russo, our longtime friend who has joined us to uh, debate uh, worldly topics periodically, has uh, joined us to uh, help me uh, get through the show this week. And uh, so Ken's on his honeymoon, Sherry, and I mm-hmm. thought it might be interesting. You were at my wedding. You were a reader in my wedding. Yes. And I was at your wedding. So I thought it might be fun to, since Ken just got married, we'll save the notable things that happened to Ken's wedding for next week when he is next time when he's here. <laughs> but I thought it might be fun. Uh, what are one or two uh, fun things that stand out from, from my wedding that you as an attendee re- recall? Well, um, you know, uh, people listening to the show may not know this, but we, we have been friends for a long time, Ted, and we, we, uh, we met working at WMFD TV in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, and one of the groomsmen was also one of, uh, our really good friends, uh, who also worked at the TV station. Sure. He was the best man. Yeah, that's true. He was the best man. I I actually, although he almost wasn't the best man. (laughs) And that's the story of course, is that, uh, you know, we, I got, I had a very young, uh, my youngest, my oldest was very young at the time of this wedding. So this was my husband, um, and eyes first, like getaway from, um, from a toddler, uh, you know, in the early days of, of being a parent. So we were there early. We were excited to be at your wedding. We were, we were <laughs> thrilled for the opportunity to have a night out. And so we were sitting in the pews, you know, and I don't remember exactly what time your wedding was supposed to start, but it was, I think it was like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. One, 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 one. okay. One o'clock in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, one o'clock comes and goes. And uh, there's no music <laughs> and and people are sitting there and uh, we're all kind of looking at each other like what's going on. I believe 115 came and went uh, without uh, the wedding starting. And I was I was starting to worry that someone decided that this wasn't what they wanted to do. <laughs> that was what was going through my uh-huh. head. Either you or uh-huh. Erica uh, was changing your mind. Um, and so. We kept looking, Tom and I kept looking, my husband, Tom and I kept looking at each other and we were like, what, what is going on here? Weddings normally are pretty punctual and yeah, this, yeah. this one isn't. Uh, and I don't know what time it actually started. Was it close to 1.30? It you? was uh, between 1.15 and 1.20 because if you look at the wedding video, the doors, when they open and Erica walks in right above the doors is the clock. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Clearly tell. It was about 118, I think. Not that I remember the exact time or anything. 118. And I did not know why it started late. The wedding was beautiful after that. Everything seemed fine. I came to learn later that our mutual friend, Greg, who was the best man, uh, was late. <laughs> was late to your wedding. Late. Uh, yep. yep. And uh, I believe he was uh, contacting you on his way there, telling you he got stuck in traffic or yeah some absurd excuse for why he was coming in from Pennsylvania 
because uh, he'd been visiting family and we're getting uh, married in Cleveland and uh, he didn't allow enough time. And then he's asking me for directions and I'm still pretty much a <laughs> West Sider and this church is on the Near East side. And uh, our priest is, is very um, uh, traditional by the book. And the idea that I would be on a cell phone in the sacristy Ooh. is just, yeah, that's not, good. not supposed to happen. No. Much less me hand the phone to the priest to have him give directions to the best man. And then about 10 after one, my uh, soon-to-be mother-in-law came to the back of the, came, came into the sacristy and said, Ted, this isn't fair to Erica. This isn't fair to our guests. You know, this is. This is awful. This yeah. is awful. Yeah. And I was standing there like, you know, what am I supposed to do? He's the best man. I'm here. I'm ready <laughs> to go. Let's go. And uh, thankfully, the priest overheard the conversation and he walked over and he said, Karen, I've talked to the best man. He's almost here. He'll be here in a couple minutes and then we'll get started and everything will be fine. And I remember my mother-in-law was like, ah, 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 okay. Yeah. What are you going to say to that? Yeah. She returned to her seat. And oh. minutes later, uh, Greg was in the back. And I remember I was adjusting his tie saying, aren't you supposed to be doing this for me? <laughs> and then of course uh, we go out and I'm standing there at the altar waiting for Erica to come down the aisle. And of course, the guy shooting the video gets the shot of the doors open and there's Erica. And then he there's the shot of me in the corner. And the groom is supposed to look, you know, thrilled to see his soon-to-be bride or soon-to-be wife. wife. Yep. And uh, I look like I'm at a funeral. <laughs> You were a little, you were a little stressed out. Well, about halfway down. And I remember thinking this at the time I was, I remember thinking, you know, everybody's looking at her and at me, I better look happy. And my, my expression of my face in one fell swoop went from uh, uh, looking like I was at a funeral to the biggest <laughs> smile I could possibly find. So yeah, well, that was, uh, that was that pretty was awesome. Yeah. Well, I That's, think, yeah, I was just going to say, I think the funniest thing is that is still a running joke to oh, this yeah. day with Greg. Every time he's supposed to be anywhere, there's a joke about whether or not he's going to be late. <laughs> well, so. uh, I don't want to get into his life too much, but let's just say uh, he's had more than one opportunity to get married mm -hmm. and he's invited us. And when he invites us, I always say, now, what time's the wedding? <laughs> and I usually tell them, yeah, I'll be there 15 or 20 minutes after. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Now, your wedding, mm -hmm. you did a, some, a couple of things that I hadn't seen at a wedding before. Ooh, you, I didn't know that. You, you had, uh, instead of clinking the glasses to get the couple to kiss, you required people to go up and sing a few phrases from a love song. In yes. order to get that to happen. Yep. And, uh, you know, Ken and I have been friends for several years. And so we were both at the wedding. And I suggested that he and I do the love boat. 
<laughs> so we went up and sang the love boat and that was so that was one uh, thing that was quite humorous yep but i think what took the cake was and i got to give ken full credit on this you had this idea that i hadn't seen before where you put disposable cameras on the tables with the idea being that attendees can take pictures of each other having fun at the wedding yep and you were at a this was at a party center and there's more than one wedding go, a reception going on so Ken has the great idea. And so Ken and I take your camera and go to the other wedding reception, tell the bride and groom what we're doing and get all kinds of pictures with them, <laughs> with their attendees and people. They thought this was the greatest idea. And we didn't say a word to you. Nope. And then you developed the film and I get this call <laughs> two or three weeks later. And I, hello? And all I hear is, what the bleepity bleep is this? Uh, it didn't take, knowing you and Ken, um, as well as I had come to know you over the years, it did not surprise me at all. It took me yeah. less than a second to figure out what you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was pretty hilarious. And yeah. those, yeah. those are actually some of my favorite pictures from those there you disposable go. cameras. So Anonymous. Anonymous other wedding people. Yes, anonymous oh. other wedding people. Um, the only other, uh, the only other thing that really stands out to me, um, aside from Greg being late to <laughs> your wedding, we're just going to keep putting that in there. Um, was, Is there uh, something else that takes the trumps that? But go ahead. No, no, I don't think it trumps it. Uh, but I remember that your wedding uh, clearly, uh, as it should have, had a, a lot of uh, German themes to yes. it. I remember yeah. that. Well, was and, it a German German reception hall? Right. Yes, I remember that, and I remember, and I don't remember all the details, so you'll have to fill me in. But I remember feeling intimidated by the fact that I did not have enough wine knowledge to be able to. Oh well, <laughs> uh, my father-in-law is a wine uh, uh, connoisseur. Yeah, and we had to rent wine glasses <laughs> from other party halls because you have to have the um, I don't know. You have to, there's three wine glasses at a proper setting. Yes. So you have to have the red wine glass, the white wine glass. And I don't know if it's the, the appetizer wine glass or what the pre, and then I guess you could probably also have a dessert wine glass, but I'm I think sure we could. did, I think we did three, but yeah, there was, uh, and I remember him saying like he, he would, he used to get, you know, a couple bottles from this particular vineyard in uh, California and this one over here and blah, 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 blah. So he called such and so vineyard and these places do small runs. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I need two, uh, um, I don't remember what the name of the, the you know, when you yeah. get uh, several bottles, two yeah. boxes, I need, I need 15 boxes of your blah, blah, blah wine. Well, we only sell two at a time. I'm sorry, you don't understand. My <laughs> only daughter is getting married. I need blah, blah. And so there was a negotiation that went on. But yes, there was um, more than one uh, uh, bottle of wine that was consumed. And I'm told a, a good time was had by all. And uh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. about I'm nine months later, there was uh, more than one child that was uh, born. Um, of that yeah. wedding night? Wow. Uh, that was, oh. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember 
knowing that no matter what I did, it was not, I was not going to have the right type of wine and the right glass and I was going to uh-huh. mess up and he was not going to be happy with me. That's all I remembered. And but, was uh, he, was he unhappy with you? Or did uh, I, not- I do. I think he corrected me a couple corrected of times. You. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, it was very nice about it, but yes. I was clearly yeah. a wine. I was not a wine snob. And so I needed to be one. And I'm not was a wine not- snob, but a wine drinker. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yes, I'm a wine drinker. Okay. I'm not a wine snob. All right. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's uh, so we'll hear about Ken's wedding uh, when he's back in a couple of weeks, but uh, still to come on this show, Cleveland's now I should point out that uh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Some of the segments on this show, we record well in advance. So you're going to hear Ken at certain points on this show. So don't be surprised when that happens if you hear Ken and not Sherry. Nonetheless, uh, Cleveland sports historian Dusty Sloan is going to be here and talk about when the Cleveland Indians were owned by Bill Vack. That's an interesting story. We'll also visit with animal rescuer Lori Martinelli. She has a rescue farm in Lorain County, and we'll learn more about that. We have an overachiever. We have good news about the name Josh. We have a misspeak of the week, and in Klopp's clips, a story of what might be the worst time ever to see your brother. That and more coming up. And now, a woman's perspective. What do you call a man with an opinion? Wrong. This has been a woman's perspective. here ted that of course is not you dang it a school teacher a school teacher in spain has earned a guinness world record 35 year old daniel alcon who uses the stage name dalcon took Mm -hmm. to the guinness record for this right yo we're ready to go this is why i'm here so i'm ready yo Life's a competition, survive a daily mission. I just want you and I to be in a better position. I want to do... Carrie, what? What, what, what are we listening to there? Well, that's the lo- the world's longest freestyle rap. Dalcon skipped sleep for two nights, two nights to rap consecutively for, get this, 39 hours and 37 minutes. Mm-hmm. This isn't the first time he's tried for this record. Last year, he tried to beat a mark of 33 hours and 33 minutes and 16 seconds. Dalcon performed for 35 hours only to discover the record had already been beaten and the new mark was more than 36 hours. That's when he called his witnesses and told them they needed to do it again. Boy, there's a call you don't want. Yeah, exactly. According to Guinness rules, Dalcon's rap marathon had to be overseen by witnesses to ensure he stuck to strict rules during his world record attempt. The rules stipulated that Dalcon was allowed 30 seconds to catch his breath between raps. The beats had to be continuous Mm. and was given a five minute break for every hour he rapped. So Mm. there's how it goes. Uh, That's how you get the world's longest freestyle rap record. Sherry, I we're good friends, but I got to tell you, I don't think I could sit there for 39 hours if you went for this record. No, gosh, no. Same. Uh, 39. I mean, 
I mean, that's two days. There's sleep. Yeah, there's sleep that needs to be had in there somewhere. I would be interested to hear what the last, you know, the 39th hour sounds like. Yeah, It can't be be good. It can't be energetic. It can't be anything. It just has to be bad at that point. Oh, boy. Freestyle rap for 39 (laughs) hours. Well, I guess if you're going (laughs) to overachieve, that's... uh, that's one one way to do it, I guess. <laughs> I don't I don't think if I were going to be an overachiever, I'm not sure freestyle rap would be the first place I would think to go. But that's just me. <laughs> Blah 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 Today's guest resides in Wellington, Ohio, and is involved in something which literally saves lives. Despite working 60 hours a week in a regular job, our guest works with all kinds of different four-legged animals, which have found a safe haven at a farm called Tranquil Acres. I know this story is going to be something everyone will appreciate. Let's talk with Lori Martinelli. Lori, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Well, first off, let's just go right into it. Please talk about where Tranquil Farm is and basically what it's all about. Okay. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Tranquil Acres is located in Wellington, Ohio. We're probably about 50 minutes um, southwest of Cleveland. Um, I was uh, really heavily established Tranquil Acres Farm in 2018 when I relocated from Southern Ohio for my job. Um, My father and son have helped develop Tranquil Acres uh, with me and have supported me 100%. Um, I've always rescued animals of all types. Um, We came to this location with six rescued horses, Um, but it began um, to, I began to get heavily involved in horses once I learned about the kill pen process that the horses um, can go to, go through. Um, they've always been a therapy animal for me, and I just wanted to help. I wanted to help in whatever way that we could. Um, we had a lot of, my family had a lot of um, life-altering events that happened in 2018, and I began to see that I needed these rescues just as much as they needed us. So um, I began to work with various kill pens throughout the United States. Um, once a horse is sent to an auction, many people don't realize that if they don't sell at that auction, then... Um, they go to a kill pen once. Oh, in a, wow. Yeah. Once they're in a kill pen, it's, it's a rough situation. You often have 50 plus horses in round pens that are trampling each other. They're sick. They're scared. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And then these horses are tagged and they're loaded up and they're shipped to Mexico or Canada for consumption. So I have worked with many groups um, to save as many horses as possible in the last probably 10 years. Um, But once they arrive at my farm, um, we do the best that we can at rehabilitating and offering a safe and secure home for the balance of their life. Um, Once they're here, they stay. Tranquil Acres, uh, we also offer on-site leases to these horses once rehabilitated for the 4-H kids that are free of charge. They sign a lease and they're responsible for their daily care. Um, many need uh, sp- many special needs, children's and adults uh, visit on the weekends and they've picked their favorites. It's not hard. <laughs> they're, they're all special. 
But they bring snacks and they groom uh, or they just hang out. Some people are experienced at riding, so they'll ride. But it's it's very therapeutical for the, the folks to come on the weekends. Now, on your Facebook page, Lori, it says our farm offers a safe haven for all types of animals. We take pride in the mm-hmm. home we offer our four-legged friends, and they are lifelong members. The Martinelli family welcomes visitors of all ages. So is there li- a limit? to the type of animals that you accept and talk about that, that kind of that process of uh, uh, the rescue. Okay. Uh, no, there's no limit. Actually, we have brought in so many different types of animals. Um, we currently have eight large horses, five mini horses, a donkey, two goats, four barn cats and 10 chickens. <laughs> <laughs> what That's about great. the partridge and the pear tree? Right. Hey, we'll accept that as well. For sure. Um, all animals are accepted as long as the room permits. Um, all the animals in some way have been failed by humans. So they all come in with as a special case um, and have to be treated as such. They all have their own story. Um, as I said earlier, I follow several kill pins throughout the U.S. that I trust and have worked with. Uh, Wisconsin, Kansas, Texas, and North Carolina are the ones that I have the most experience and the most positive experiences um, with. So I I follow these on Facebook. I follow their websites um, so that I can see the horses that are coming in. In these kill pens, they get horses that, uh, again, didn't sell from auction. Many are injured, severely underweight, abused, and have been so neglected. Um, So once I see a worst case and I tend to get this connection, um, that horse is assigned a bail number and it's a sticker that is stuck on them and it might have a number 5968, whatever. That bail number is associated with a bail fee. So you've got a bail fee that ranges anywhere from $500 up to $2,000. You've got to pay that fee for them to be safe and to be taken out of that kill pen, which then generally these kill pens will have a barn associated with them that horse is assigned to a stall. But these kill pens, again, consist often of 50 plus horses in close quarters. They're they're catching illnesses from each other. They're trampling each other. Um, The chosen horse must be pulled. And and quarantine is the best bet. Um, Most of the kill pens I work with will provide vet care as needed at your cost. Um, They need to be transported for a, a horse to be transported across any state line. They must have a vet certified Coggins test. Um, I usually quarantine the animal at a local sanctuary in that state for 30 days. And this just ensures that no disease comes into my barn and sure. it's my current horses. Um, that cost is $15 a day. They provide hay and water. And most um, reputable kill pens will provide updates and state of that horse. Um, give you that daily update. If they need additional vet care, they'll work with you. But once they've been quarantined, um, I contact a transporter and I have a really good friend here local in Wellington. Um, uh, the name of that company is Ellen Equine Elite Transporter. She transports all over the United States, but I know that they're gonna get the best of care because some of these horses loading up are dehydrated, um, so severely underweight, they're weak. So there's a lot that goes into that transport in their care during the time it takes to get back to Ohio. Um, once the animal begins their descent home, we're ready on this end. We've got the stall ready. We've got the vet check ready. Um, and once, once they get here, they're often defeated and just exhausted and scared. So we give that horse a couple of days or that animal. 
and allow them to settle in. They get that vet check usually immediately the very next day they've been here so that we know what care they need. And then once they get the routine of the barn, uh, we begin working and with the horse and gaining their trust. That's outstanding. Wow. What a process that is. My gosh. So going back to your Facebook page, by the way, it is awesome. If you like pictures of horses and to see the different horses that you guys have at your facility, it is awesome. I highly recommend everybody go there. So a few weeks ago, you showed a picture of an arena being built and it mentioned a special needs camp. Can you talk about what this camp is all about at Tranquil Acres? Absolutely. Um, So the shell of the barn is up and we're very excited because this building is going to provide year round opportunities for the special needs camps and children and adults that like to interact and ride and spend time with the animals. So it's going to We've had to limit ourselves in the special need camps due to weather, obviously. The building is still in need of electric. Um, We need to put a driveway in. And then the floor of the arena is sand and it takes about 50 ton, which is quite costly. So we're in the process of fundraising. Uh, The final cost to complete is about 40,000. In 2021, we did hold three special needs camps outside. They were phenomenal. We had a hundred plus attendees. Um, These camps have various stations for the children and adults to attend. We have usually have a sensory table of all the things that go into the animal's care, like grain and hay, so that so that these individuals can touch and feel what it goes into um, to take care of the horses. We also have several hands-on games, which go over really well. We have grooming stations for the goats um, and the minis and large horses. So you don't necessarily have to ride. Um, You can just be present and around the horses. Um, And for those that do want to ride, they just sign a waiver and we've got a team that helps them um, get on and walk with the horses and ride. The great thing about these camps is not only the smiles on the children's faces, you know, a lot are nonverbal, but they become very excited and and very at ease, but also meeting the families as well that we've met uh, across the state of Ohio. It's been amazing. So I see you you talked about bringing in all these different animals and animals like people have their own personalities. Is there one that you've rescued that was uh, maybe more memorable than the others? Can you talk about uh, maybe one of your favorites? Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough um, because everybody comes in with that personality and they come in with a strong one. So it takes a while to really get them to open up to you. Um, This past year, we brought in a total of seven horses that were saved from slaughter, but we also sadly lost three. Um, You know, by the time they get to us, we do the best we can. And, And the only thing I can hope for is that their last days, they felt love. They felt safe and secure. And generally that's the case. Um, I had a tough case, probably my most severe that came in in October, and his name was uh, Tonka. He was a black and white paint. Many referred to him as a medicine hat. And a medicine hat to the Indians, they cherish these horses um, as they're known as noble and spiritual in protecting their owners. And a medicine hat, Tonka was an all white face. You can see him on our Facebook page. And he had a black cap to his ears and the top of his head. And he was just majestic, amazing looking. Um, He was so neglected that he could barely walk. Uh, Getting off the trailer, uh, he collapsed when he got here. And that's that's not uncommon. But his injuries were so extreme. Um, He was still a stud 
And you could tell that that was the majority of his life. He was used as a stud. Uh, once he couldn't stand any longer, I do have a bit of his past um, from some folks that have stepped forward. Um, I have found out that his hooves were curled and so neglected and not being trimmed and cared for that his owner sent him to auction and he didn't sell, right? So he found himself in a kill pen where he was trampled by all the other horses. Um, he was unable to fend for himself and he sustained about four broken ribs, a broken coffin bone and several injuries um, on his limbs, really. Yeah, sad. Um, he arrived here in October. We were finally able to haul him. Um, I was working with another group and they were able to care for him until he was able to haul. You know, upon his arrival, he was so uh, let down by humans. Uh, he instantly trusted me and, and I felt honored. So his injuries, injuries were so painful. Um, he was on daily pain management. Um, I had to wrap his legs at least in ice three times a day, keep the swelling down, keep the pain down. He had special shoes. He was fed four times a day to increase his weight. But I had an amazing team of people that helped me make the decisions that were right for him in his certain case, uh, because you learn a lot through every one of these horses. The community had really come together. They had many fundraisers um, and he had daily visitors because he was so majestic. I think he helped more people in so many ways than we helped him. Um, and I believe he was brought here for a reason. So we had x-rayed him upon his arrival in October again in December and then in February to kind of understand the extent of the injuries in hope that they would heal with the care that we were providing with the team we had. So, but meanwhile, this gentleman um, had a chiropractor, a dentist, a holistic doctor, an amazing team of farriers that came together um, out of the Ohio State location. Um, and they were here weekly. And we had two different vet specialists that focused on Tonka. So I learned a lot. Um, we had a lot of time and effort that went into making a quality of life for this guy. Uh, he was strong, very noble. And he taught me so much about his care, more patience, um, and how to listen. When he arrived, I felt like I couldn't understand what he was trying to say. Um, but I soon, I soon learned how to listen. He didn't often show that he was in pain, but I began to get, he and I began to communicate. So in February, sadly, the x-rays showed um, severe bone deterioration. So those years of abuse had caught up with him, and he was only 14 years old. He had a lot of life, but he trusted me with his life, and I laid him to rest in February. Mm. Oh, my gosh. What a story that is. That would be, that would be very difficult. So the question that I have that goes along with that to an extent, so of all the wonderful things you're doing at Tranquil Acres, are there other farms? Are there other facilities doing something similar to you that you've connected with? And have there been other places that maybe have reached out to you or said, hey, I'm interested in doing the same thing. How do we do this? Have you had those conversations? Yeah, many. Um, I think people reach out weekly because I often share horses that are in other kill pens that I can't save. Sure. I want to know the process. So we share that. But I, I have an interesting case with a um, horse that I rescued from Texas, she had been in a facility as a broodmare, which meant she did nothing but have babies her entire life. So oh my gosh, very unhandled. Um, she was branded. She had a number 158 on her side. Um, but as I was trying to save her, 
I got connected on Facebook as I was tagging her through the kill pen. I became very good friends with two people. One, I'll, I'll just refer to them as their state and where they came from. One was from Virginia and one was from the country of Belgium. And this, this gentleman had been fallen Gracie as much as I had been. So they were in the same pursuit of helping save her. Um, we connected on Facebook. Uh, Virginia paid the vet fees. I paid the bail at the kill pen. And Belgium paid for the sanctuary fees during her quarantine uh, period of 30 days. Hmm. It, it kind of goes to show you that I didn't know them and how three strangers came together and can collaborate just to save this beautiful creature. That is awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really she came cool. to the farm and she enjoyed her final days. Um, she was here less than a year. Um, she had developed cancer and sadly she passed, but she passed in peace and she knew she was safe. Um, I also contribute to organizations that are trying to stop the wild horse roundups out West. And I currently have um, helped save a Mustang. Uh, she's beautiful. She is currently in Virginia for rehabilitation and training. And then as soon as she's trained, she'll come to my farm. Um, during the helicopter roundup, she was one that was injured and she's now blind. So like I said, many rescues reach out to me weekly to save or assist in some way with special needs horses. Um, I've met some amazing people through this endeavor and I appreciate their experience and their contributions. So I know many of our listeners are uh, very generous folks. Um, does Tranquil Acres accept donations? You know, we do. And they're much appreciated um, because often the vet cases, as in Taka's case, uh, his vet bills exceeded well above $10,000. And um, wow. he, yeah, it's, it can be extensive at times. Um, we accept donations. Those can be sent uh, to my PayPal account, which is on uh, the Facebook page. Um, or many visit in person to drop off, not just monetary, you know, on a daily basis, I've got horses that are on simple things like Benadryl. I need uh, paper towels, cotton oh. balls, um, many things people just drop off and, and it's so welcome. Um, the weekends are filled with visitors and volunteering, grooming or just offering their love to the horses. Uh, we also accept checks that can be mailed to the farm address. Question I have, obviously, I think Ted would be very good at the grooming. I think that would be a great job for him. So we'll have to line that up. <clears throat> yeah, right. It'd be wonderful. So question I have, I mean, once again, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely outstanding, amazing information. So once again, if people are interested about the hours of, of Tranquil Acres and how they can get there, or do you, it, maybe you have some other events coming up that maybe you want to talk about lastly, Please let us know where to go to find this information. Okay. Yep. You can locate it on Tranquil Acres um, Facebook page. It's, it's a public page, so anybody can locate it. Um, we've got some that has the hours of operation, uh, cell contact, and an email address that you can even email me. Uh, we've got some upcoming special needs camps that are scheduled for June, July, and August. Um, if the arena is completed, we'll be able to hold those every month throughout the winter. Uh, many people also hold their birthday parties at the farm and they pick out a special animal for the kids to be around. Uh, many families have had their family portraits taken. I have a full-time photographer that actually works at the barn. Oh, what a great idea. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, all can, uh, like I said, all can call my cell and schedule a visit um, due to my work schedule. Generally those visits uh, work out well on the weekends. I also have a very good friend of mine that orchestrates uh, many fundraisers that go on throughout the month. Those can be checked out on the Facebook page. Uh, 
And then you can also follow us on TikTok. Um, I've, I've, from the day that the horses come in until today's date, I constantly do updates on the then and the now. And that's at L Martinelli 828. Um, but I really like to thank um, all the volunteers and friends and our team of farriers and vets and specialists that have helped the farm. Those that have donated their time and, and monetary donations that have helped save these guys' lives. But I really appreciate uh, the invite today to share more about the farm and get the word out there. That's outstanding. Lori, we really appreciate the time. What great information and what amazing things you guys are doing at Tranquil Acres. I mean, certainly can't put a monetary value to that for saving the life of horses and giving them extended life. That's just absolutely amazing, as well as the other animals you have there. But thank you so much, and we really appreciate the time. And thank you. Misspeak of the week time, President mm -hmm. Joe Biden held a virtual meeting with manufacturers of baby formula last week. He reviewed efforts to address the nationwide shortage. Mm -hmm. Today, we're announcing the United Airlines has agreed to offer cargo space for Kendall NutriCare uh, for the delivery of 3.7 bottles of the formula. 3.7 bottles, Jerry. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, that's that is uh, good. That is. You talk about a difference maker. This is it. 3.7 is, it, it will change everything. <laughs> um, but, 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 but that's not mm -hmm. all. Just a couple minutes later, he tried to hand the meeting off. I'm going to make sure the families in every part of the country can get the formula they need. And I look forward to our conversations today. So I want to thank you all. And uh, now uh, you, I'm going to hand it over to uh, Secretary, Mr. Secretary, I'm going to have you speak now. <laughs> and your remarks, and <laughs> then we're gonna hand it over uh, to, uh, to Samara, to my time here. All yours, so, All yours, Mr. Secretary. All, we've, all, we've all been there, Ted. I mean, we, it, we, it, yes. when, when you don't know the name or you forgot to practice it before you went out there, we've all been there. It's cue cards, the, the man needs cue cards. <laughs> yes, yes. Perhaps yes. written in a ridiculously large font. <laughs> yeah, oh. it uh, it wasn't that wasn't good, and and of course that's the misspeak of the week. Sherry, we have some good news: the second annual Josh fight went <laughs> down in Lincoln, Nebraska. It is a battle over the name Josh. It started as an online joke when Josh Swain of Tucson, Arizona, tweeted a challenge last year for anybody named Josh. To fight him for the name. <laughs> uh -uh. Combatants used pool noodles Ooh. and wore costumes. In the end, nobody could dethrone five-year-old Josh <laughs> Vinson Jr., who defended his title as the number one Josh. Now, you might be saying, well, this is kind of ridiculous. Why is this good news? Well, the event raised nearly $21,000 for the Children's Hospital and Medical Center in Omaha, and the owners of the Josh Sellers Wine Label pledged to match that amount with a donation of their own. Oh, that is good news. Yeah. But, uh, but Nothing why? like a little fight with a pool noodle. I, uh, well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to bring a, a weapon to the fight, a pool noodle is the weapon to bring. I mean. It, well, that's what I've heard, yes. Uh, <laughs> That's, but I, I don't understand how this even started. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But whatever. Good, yeah. good news. Good hey, news. You want to uh, you want to fight over the name Sherry? 
Uh, no, actually, I would give it away tomorrow if someone wanted to take it. <laughs> I'm sure you'll make sure you tell your parents to listen to this episode. I'm sure they'll be happy. Nope. Won't All right. <laughs> well, there you go. There's some good news. Cleveland! This is for you! Well, time for another Cleveland sports history lesson. Our professor today is the ever-famous Dusty Sloan. Dusty, <laughs> I have a good one for you today. We move to June 22nd, 1946. Bill Veck, really interesting mm. character, buys the Cleveland Indians at that time. What can you tell us about when he bought the Cleveland Indians, and what else can you tell about the very interesting, very talented man, Bill Veck? Well, obviously, if you're a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, you did something right. So despite all the quirkiness of Beck and the other and maybe his sons moving forward and um, minor league baseball, independent baseball and all that stuff. We just focus on Bill Beck and the Indians. What he did really set the tone for what the franchise would be moving forward because he moved the team to Municipal Stadium in 47. He obviously signed Larry Doby, the first African-American player in the American League, then moved on to Satchel Page and, and signed him to a contract. So you talk about all of the big things that he did, obviously the 1948 World Series. So it was a big deal in Cleveland to have Bill Beck and someone who was a who was an owner who obviously got things done, because obviously we all know that this day and age with the Guardians, we have an owner that isn't necessarily getting things done. But this one did, and it was unfortunate because I'm reading up on him, and it says that the only reason he ever got rid of the Indians was because he divorced his first wife and he needed the money for the settlement. So he could have been there a lot longer than just four or five years. But life got <laughs> oh, oh, golly. Needed cash. He needed well, cash. The liquidity know. back then in the late 40s was not good for him. So Now, Bill Veck was known for some of the more unique um, – promotions was he not yeah he he was definitely one who kind of kind of <laughs> pushed the envelope when you're talking about uh, promotions and things like that and back then i mean let's face it when you're talking about what he when he owned the indians and then he owned the st louis browns and then the white Sox, you had to do things like that because you're in post-war people are still trying to get back to some what we call some kind of normalcy and you had to come up with things to kind of get bust in the seats. And he did it. And obviously it wasn't too crazy because it worked and he's a member of the hall of fame. So obviously you don't see many things like that in major league baseball right now, where people push the envelope because of the kind of the staid nature of major league baseball. You certainly see it in a lot of the minor leagues, particularly with names choices and things like that. But uh, Bill Veck certainly would qualify as a one of a kind. Oh, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> well, well, we'll leave it with this one. So I did a little research. Ted, I know you're falling off your chair. I, you I, I don't know what you're well. talking about here. This is one I did not know, and I'm not sure if you knew this or not, Dusty. Bill Veck is the gentleman who came up with the idea for the Ivy at Wrigley Field. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh. he, was, he was a vendor. And they were asking questions one time as he was vending at a Cubs game. And he says, you know what? You guys should come up with Ivy or something like that and put that on the outfield wall. How about that? I mean, that's very interesting, man, but certainly very innovative. But uh, 
Dusty, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Nice to go back and talk about a, I guess you could call him a character, Bill, Bill Vec, who bought the Indians in 1946 on June 22nd. Thanks again, Dusty. Thanks, guys. Cleveland! This is for you! All right, time for a little sports talk here. We're going to talk Browns, and I'm hoping that the names Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson are either not mentioned any more than what I just did or uh, mentioned minimally. Uh, the topic that we came up with to chat about briefly that has become a, a big chatter topic here on Cleveland Radio in the last week or so, Odell Beckham Jr. is a free agent and possibly could, well, he, there's 32 teams he could sign with, uh, obviously Cleveland being one of them, but uh, supposedly uh, Miles Garrett and a couple other uh, teammates have lobbied for his return. Yeah. So as a fan, I'll let uh, our uh, uh, young lady go first. Would you want the Browns to bring Odell Beckham Jr. back, Sherry? So I thought a lot about this and mm. I was, I was okay when he left because mm. I just thought it, I, at the time, and I know you don't want me to mention Baker Mayfield's name, we don't talk about Baker, no, no, no. but I, at the time thought that, uh, that the, that it just didn't work between him and Baker Mayfield and that Baker Mayfield seemed to do better uh, when Odell Beckham Jr. was not on the field. So I was okay with it. Um, but now that Baker appears to be a non-factor. Wait, could you um, say that name anymore, Sherry? I know, right? Um, now that that appears to be the case, um, I guess, you know, he is a talented wide receiver. It would be great if we had... Um, you know, if we had him on the team and it worked, um, it does seem that he gets along with everyone else except the person you don't want me to mention. Thank you. So, so um, I'm assuming that maybe he would get along with the other person you don't want me to mention. And and it would be, you know, not get along, but they would have a good playing relationship. So if that's the case um, and he really wants to come back and could help us, I, I guess I'm OK with that. All right. Well, there's two reasons why I don't particularly want him to come back. Okay. Number one, he tore his ACL for the second time in the Super Bowl. And so he's not going to be available at the start of the season. And when he is available, you know, you tear your knee twice. How much speed do you lose? Yeah. So I don't, uh, you know, uh, we're allegedly in this win now mentality. So, I, I don't know that we should wait on that. And, yeah. and I don't know if this is true or not, but there were media reports out there that Odell Beckham supposedly uh, during the uh, free agency uh, two years ago, uh, the Browns had interest in one or two players and Odell Beckham said, you don't want to come here. Oh, and wow. So, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. So uh now, I don't know if that's true or not, and I would think that if that was true, then his teammates wouldn't be lobbying for him to come back, but that was reported on more than one uh, in more than one place. So, um, I don't know, just uh, the main reason I don't, I just, he, I don't think we have time to wait for a guy that's rehabbing his second ACL injury. So No, that's a, that's a valid point. It's a valid yeah. point. He, he also, you know, is 
is a little bit of a prima donna. Uh, so, you know, having that, uh, that vibe on the team. Way to I, stick your neck out, Sherry. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying yeah. to be nice. Um, yeah. But, you know, but he's also very talented. At least he has been in the past. And so if I, I want to win, my my dad, you know, my dad is uh, 74 years old. And every time he hears about a Browns rebuilding plan, he says, I don't have time for that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so so I, for my dad, I want them to win and I want them to win soon. Yeah. Uh, so if that's going to make it happen, then I'm OK with that. All right. Fair enough. Well, I guess we'll we'll wait and see if. OBG comes back. OBJ. OBG. OBG. Uh, yeah, you know me, but uh, we'll see if OBJ uh, returns to the CLE. The most trusted name in journalism, Klops Clips. All right, Sherry, time for the, uh, the news you may have missed, but... Uh, we're here to to make sure you you have it now. Six year old German man apparently got the COVID nineteen vaccine up to ninety times what? in order to sell forged vaccine cards. Oh my god! With real vaccine batch numbers to people not wanting to get vaccinated. He got caught when he showed up for a COVID shot at the same vaccination center. On consecutive days. <laughs> that was a genius move. The police say he had several blank vaccine cards with him. That can't be good for you. To no, it me. can't be. No matter what you think, whether the vaccine's good, bad, or indifferent. Right. 90 doses of it. I'm going to say that's a little, yeah. No. And of course, uh, when I mentioned this story to my wife, she said the only way that story could be any better is if the guy still wound up getting COVID. I said, <laughs> Mike Tyson has a uh, cannabis company called Tyson 2.0. One of the edible cannabis gummies that they produce is in the shape of a bitten ear. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, you may recall, uh, obviously, Sherry recalls, but in case you don't recall, Tyson bit off part of Evander Holyfield's ear during a boxing match. Well, the bitten ear edible gummy can't be sold in Colorado. What? Yeah, there's a state law prohibiting marijuana edibles from shape, being shaped like humans, animals, fruit, or other images that could attract children. Now, wait a minute. What child <laughs> is going to want to eat a bitten-off ear? <laughs> well, I think the bigger question is, why would a child be anywhere near edible cannabis gummies? Huh. Well, I have heard that cannabis gummies have been mistake, mistaken for real gummies Okay. before. Okay. So that... That has happened, but if I were a little kid, uh, it wouldn't. It's it's one thing to be in the shape of a bear or you know something that little kids yeah. like. A bitten off ear? I'm not yeah. sure that I would. Yeah, I would eat that. But okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and a uh, a TikTok video from a woman who works as an adult dancer has gone viral. In the video, she says she was hired to perform for a bachelor party. And she says it wasn't until she was on stage performing uh, that she realized the bachelor party was for her own brother. Ah! No. No word as to how that event ended. It couldn't have ended well. That's no. all. 
No. That would be every brother's worst nightmare, I would uh, imagine. Probably every sister's, too. Yeah, yeah. I that think too. that's just uh, bad all around. Yeah. I don't, I don't see a... a, 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 a no. Money, the money stays in the family? Maybe that's the... <laughs> Yeah, that's the only upside. Yep, that's, I, oh. that's, there you go. Whew. All right. Well, uh, there's no word as to, uh, the, 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 we just have the sister's reaction, which clearly wasn't positive. No no word on uh, the brother's reaction in that situation. I'm sure he was scarred for life. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I hope uh, we didn't scar you to li- for life with uh, this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. Dad joke. What sound does a witch's car make? Hmm. Uh, I, I have no idea. Broom, broom. <laughs> that joke was horrible. Sherry, we're wrapping up episode 90. Woo! Of, uh, one middle-aged man and one young lady in Cleveland. And not even in Cleveland. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> Well, in Ohio, grew, that's close enough. Yeah, I grew up near there, so yeah, that should count, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I, I do you have? I know from looking at your Facebook uh, that you spent some time at a baseball diamond this past weekend. Are there yep. uh, more uh, baseball games in your future? There's always baseball <laughs> games in my future. Uh, yes, my my youngest son is a uh, plays travel baseball, which is crazy. Um, but uh, actually, we were up there. We were we were up that way for his game this last weekend. We were in Huron. Um, we actually the game was in Huron. We stayed in Elyria, so um, we drove. Uh, Thanks for letting uh, me know. <laughs> uh, I was yeah. only there for baseball games. Oh, not, yeah. Uh-huh. Not any time really much okay. or anything else, but, yeah. uh, but it was cool. It was, uh, it was fun being up there. We listened to some radio Cleveland radio stations, WMMS, you know, brought back some childhood memories. So, uh, yeah. that was fun, but yeah, he has a baseball game again on Thursday. Then, uh, then he has another tournament, uh, this coming weekend in Mansfield. Oh, uh, I so, hope you yeah. know how to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I know how to get there. <laughs> So, uh, but let me tell you, Ted, I know you have three boys and I, I know at least one or two of them is playing baseball. Wait till uh, you get to this. Three stadium. of them. All, all three. Of them. Oh, oh, I didn't yeah. realize. I didn't realize all three. Thankfully, okay. thankfully, two of them are on the same team. Okay. We kind of manipulated that, but yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, uh, for example, tonight we have one game at uh, 630 and one game at 815. Oh. At two different fields. Nice, nice. So, yeah. Well, we're used to this because uh, uh, during hockey season, they're all on different teams. Yeah. And this coming season, we may have one kid who plays goalie on one team and skates on another. So we may oh. have three team, three kids on four different teams. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah that that's insane. Yeah. Well, I don't recommend uh, travel baseball then because. <laughs> Because it gets really crazy. Like, you know, you play on Saturday and then depending on your, how many games you won and the run differential of those games, you get seated for Sunday and you don't know until Saturday night, what time you're going to play on Sunday. And I mean, it's a a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, 
we have that for the uh, the hockey tournaments that we go to, but uh, uh, let's just say we usually count on being in the consolation game. <laughs> <laughs> got it, got it. I understand. So, yeah, uh, we understand. had uh, uh, when hockey season ended and we hit spring, we were doing for all three. Uh, let's see, golf on Mondays. Uh, could be baseball practice on Tuesdays. Um, lacrosse on Wednesdays could be baseball on Thursdays and then Friday slash the weekend they have what's called drop-in practices for hockey where you don't have to sign up ahead of time it's just you know oh if you have time come on in come on in and it's a fee per per practice so Oh oh yeah oh yeah yeah we always uh celebrate when we get all the kids to the right places at the right times. Nice. <laughs> I think uh, uh, I think I talked about this on the show last year. There was one situation where we had a game, a home game, and my wife took the proper kid to mentor. Okay. Yeah, the game was in Shaker Heights. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Well, so yeah, uh, you know, you know who Bobby Carpenter is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he is from the town that I live in and my husband uh, did a video project with him recently. And he was talking at this video project. He was talking about how uh, he didn't know how his mom, you know, he has two little kids now. He didn't know how his mom got all of them, all these different places. And so we asked her, you know, he's like, yeah. well, how did you, how did you handle all that when we were little? And she said, well, at one point I just called the coach and said, is my kid important enough to have to be a practice tonight? And, and the coach would say, if the coach said yes, or she's like, okay, then you can come pick him up. Here's oh, our address. Nice. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. I thought that was wow. awesome too. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So, you know, there's a coach out there who said that Bobby Carpenter wasn't important enough to be at practice. Yep. And, uh, and now, you know, he's been in the NFL and, you know, played for Ohio state and all of those things. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I thought it was stuff. pretty awesome. Yeah. That's, that's one way to handle it. Certainly. Absolutely. And of course, back then we didn't have, uh, Outlook invites and uh, texting and apps that tell you when the game is or anything like that. Yep. So she a just a poster put it on board the- and a lot of notes, I'm guessing. Yep. Just put it on the coach to come pick up her kid. <laughs> well, next week on the show, or I should say next time on the show, uh, Ken will be back. We'll hear about his wedding and we're going to visit with Cleveland Metro Parks historian and archivist, Judy McKeegan. I'm going to learn all about the, the Cleveland Metro Park. So that should be an interesting conversation as that uh, uh, that area has certainly grown over the years. And it's now a, quite a large uh, area with lots of different parks and lots of different uh, subdiv- uh, cities. So we'll have that in a couple of weeks. Uh, Sherry, thanks for joining us. Anything uh, stand out here from your uh, your debut as a co-host, uh, uh, substitute co-host on this particular program? Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun, but, mm. uh, but you know, I, I feel like as, as a woman on two middle-aged men in Cleveland, I probably shouldn't be a show regular. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Does that, mean was, you're a, does that mean you're a show irregular? There you go. That okay. works. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> All right, Sherry. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, just remember, we're two middle-aged men in Cleveland. Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland is sponsored by Westminster AV, custom audio-visual packages for all occasions. We 
don't talk about Baker. No, no, no.